Good morning. Great to be here. Just if, just on the, the topic of our names uh, being similar once, if you, if you ever came here thinking you were com- coming to his church <laughs> and you got saved, I just want you to know that the door is still open <laughs> at the place you intended to be, at the place God was calling you to. Um, we still love you, and we will not be offended that you have spent just a short time here. But I'm here to tell you the time is over. I'm only playing, but amazing to be here, and it really is a privilege. Um, it's always quite daunting to come somewhere for the first time, because at home you can be funny, and they can understand you, and they can excuse uh, your humanity. But when you come before uh, strangers... Uh, sometimes you are feeling under pressure to deliver more than yourself. But I want to say to you this morning, I only have myself to give. So what, what, of what I have, I will give most freely this morning. And so I'm asking you uh, to open your hearts as I work hard to, uh, to serve you today. I just want to say, uh, I know Pastor Wayne and Trish are not here, but they're incredible people uh, in, our, in our eyes. My wife, Chesan, and myself have known them for many years. It's, it's it gets difficult when you can start to say many years because it means you're getting old. And uh, I'm 39 this year. I'm turning 40 in a few months. I've made this the longest year of my life. I've never cared about age. But I must say, 40 is destabilizing me. Um, and I'm dealing with that. I'm offended that I have to pass 40. Um, yeah, just an incredible church. You guys are a real uh, blessing in our city, and uh, we stand from a distance watching at what you do and how you do it, actually. And just particularly to Wayne and Trish, I know that you know you have special people as leaders, but I want you to know from the outside, they're known as amazing people. I think they've got a stability and a sustainability that many people haven't done that. And many people do what they do with large teams around them. And I know that you're part of a a larger family of churches, but I know that the walk uh, every day is sometimes not easy. And from what I see, they're incredible leaders and you should be privileged to be part of what God is doing here. Amen. Thank you to all the other leaders for welcoming me. And uh, I always pray this. I pray that God would anoint me to speak and anoint you to hear. You know, I think it's as hard a work to hear the word than it is to speak the word. Sometimes it's harder to hear it than it is to speak it. So I pray that there is an anointing in this church this morning to conclude what God has started in this series and really set you on a path uh, for future. Amen. So I've entitled this word, I'm speaking on offense, dealing with offense and managing offense. I never thought I would ever have to say this or be able to say it, but I really do believe that I'm an expert on offense. Uh, I hope not as an offender, but certainly as one who has suffered offense. But really, I'll tell you what, the last six years of my life, uh, I have most definitely lost count of the offense or offenses that I've suffered. But I'll also say this, and it's made it difficult, but I'll say this, they have been the most incredible six years of my life. And in those six years where it's felt like at many times the closest to me were very much against me, I have learned more and grown more than in the last and in the previous 34 years of my life. So I really want you to open your hearts to discover the opportunity in every offense this morning. The title of my message is Pastoring Your Destiny. Pastoring Your Destiny. Now I just want to see what's on 
Okay, thank you. Because I, I sent my, my scriptures through, my, my notes through, for the purpose of showing you my scriptures, not my notes. So I'm not sure what's going to come up here, but if my notes go up there, you better take them off very quickly. Um, so pastoring your destiny, we had a visiting uh, minister from the, the States visiting our church recently, and this lady made a, a, a comment which she didn't teach on, but she referenced it in a teaching, and she spoke about how to pastor your prophetic words. You know that if God says it, it doesn't automatically mean that it's going to happen. And if you don't know that, you really should know that is that there needs to be a development process in your life that brings you to the prophetic word, what God's spoken over your life. Amen? So we sometimes want the word but reject the process, and so we never know the fulfillment of what God's got for every single life. I am very much a person who is consumed with the future of your life, of the lives around me, because I believe without a shadow of a doubt that God has a particular destiny, a significant destiny for every believer to live out. Amen? But like the prophetic word, there is a process that brings us to the fulfillment, ultimate fulfillment of destiny. We have to surrender. I want to say every godly process is not a natural process, which is why the word is full of instruction that wouldn't come naturally to you. When it comes to offense, what comes most natural is a carnal reaction to hurt and to pain. Amen? That's because we're human. I know know who's really human. My wife is very human. When I got married, I thought I was marrying an angel. But after 13 years, I realized I made a mistake. I didn't marry an angel. I know that she's not perfect. Now, I always say this when people are, and I'm happy that she's not perfect, because that marriage and my my family are actually the making of me. Everything we go through in that, in marriage and family, actually develops us and, and brings us to a place of strength and maturity. So praise God for the imperfection of those around us. Amen. But that's an easy statement to make. It's a very different statement to live out. But I'll say it again. Praise God for the imperfection of the lives around us. Um, I was going to make a statement, but I don't know where it is. So let's get, I don't know what it was. Let's get started. I just want to create some context for us as the church today and maybe even the church in South Africa. You know, I think in every age or in every uh, historical time in history, um, the people of God have really had the responsibility to be contextually relevant. That there is something on the church to speak into context, to bring freedom and light, not to agree with context, only to uh, further establish darkness. Now, in South Africa's context, I don't know about you, but I'm sure you with me, we, we live in a, a heartened political context. Wouldn't you agree? It's very difficult to ignore our political reality, and if we're ignoring it, then I think we're being irresponsible as a South African. But the danger of being contextually relevant is that we start to agree and act more like context than like kingdom. So we bring what's wisdom to context, not what's wisdom from the kingdom. Amen. Now, it's a fine line. Because I do believe that we are called to speak into many different types of contexts, many different types of situations, but we've got to be careful that the context doesn't influence me so much 
that I sound like an unbeliever in the same context. This is what I believe is right for the nation. If I have the Spirit of Jesus in me, then the word that comes out of my mouth has to sound differently. Amen. So we can get wrapped up in the relevance of context, but what happens when we get too caught up in what's happening around us is we lose some of the the reliable uh, principles of God's Word that through every age, in every context, is requ- we are required to live the same. I don't know if that makes sense. I'll give you some examples, things that I believe in. I believe in spiritual submission. Now, now I don't know what you believe in with regards to that, but I'll just explain myself so you can receive my conviction this morning. My conviction with spiritual, my spiritual submission or to spiritual authority is this. The principle is flawless. The authority will always be flawed. So my, my eyes are not on the authority that I submit to. My eyes on the God who established the principle, which is perfect in its, in its purpose. I submit to the principle of authority or submitting to authority. And so I benefit from the principle, not from the leader. If my eyes are on the leader, who's married here? You know, if your eyes stay on your wife or your husband, and they should, <laughs> you are eventually going to be let down. I always, this is what I was going to say. I always say this to couples preparing for marriage. One thing you've got to accept today before you go through tomorrow is that she will hurt you. She will disappoint you. And she might even betray you at some stage. How can I say that? Because she is human. Now what we do is we put expectations on people, so spouses and leaders and and peers. And what happens is if our expectations are not godly and not balanced, we are eventually going to become offended. So my principle that I believe in is, is submitting to leadership. It's biblical. It's all over the place. And I, and I could actually speak on that longer than I can speak on offense, but I won't go there. My other thing that I'm really convicted by, that I think in every, in every time in history, no matter what our context is, is we need to be committed to the body. Is that my life is for the common good first to the body and then to the world. If the body is strong, the world will be reached. But if the body is weak, the world will be forgotten. And so I carry a conviction in community is that no matter what we're going through, no matter what our, our local context is, we've got to remember our kingdom context, and that is we rely on each other. In fact, we are given to each other in the body. Amen. The other thing is forgiveness. It's the same. Is if we speak into a local context with unforgiveness in our hearts, I promise you this, there is no kingdom coming out of me, even if it sounds like the kingdom. If it's in my heart, then it cannot produce the life that that word should have produced. Amen. So, so, so pastoring your destiny, you have a destiny, you have a future in God. But obtaining the future very much relies on how we live today. Amen. Amen. Let me get on to my notes. I'm very much a future guy. But I have to accept that, and when I say a future guy, I believe in every person having a future. You know why I'm so convinced by that? I'll tell you why. Because I was born in Russell Street. I grew up in Albert Park. That's, anybody know where Albert Park is? Most South Africans don't even live there now. But it's, it's, it's um, asylum seeker country, corner of town, on the Esplanade. I grew up there, and... 
Yeah, my parents, my, my mother was 16 when she had my, my sister. She was 19 when she had me. She was, I think, 22 when she had my brother. Um, then she had a break, and she was 40 when she had my younger sister. So she realized she was making some mistakes. She waited for a while. But the point is I grew up in a very young family, uh, students having had their lives interrupted by three children by the time they were in their very early, you know, young adults are coming to learn about relationships. They were, it was done. Like, whether you know it or not, it's happening right now. I get it right. So obviously under that pressure, they didn't always get it right. And so we lived in this environment of instability. Now, when you live in constant instability, it has an impact on your person. Wouldn't you agree? And so I grew up in that environment, never being sure of myself. And so every environment, every opportunity, every relationship, I came in as a, as a subordinate to the relationship. Is how do I position myself and how do I mold myself to be accepted in something that to my eyes looks more stable and more reliable than what my experience is. And so I very struggled with my identity. Now, why I'm telling you that is because for me to come through all of those years, now it doesn't matter what you, what, what you understand about my future, I'm telling you it was unstable and it produced an unstable person. But when I came into God and I started to grow in God, I recognized more than anything else a stable character, stable, consistent behavior to the point where people started to trust me with responsibility and release me into leadership and influence. Now, that is a a miracle to me. And my conviction is if God can do that in me, then he can do it in anybody, believe me. (laughs) Anybody. No one has forgotten. No one has lost to the purposes of God. God has a future for every single life. I got saved and uh, came into this church, his church. And uh, there was obviously a senior leadership team. And many of them were my, became my heroes, my spiritual heroes. They were our leaders. They had been leading for many years. And then I went through Bible college. And uh, I came onto staff in our church. And then I came onto the ministry team. And so it was a very intimidating season. My my dream was to become, a, to, min, to become a full-time minister. And I came into ministry. The, my first year of ministry was my worst year of my life. Because I was now expected to be a peer amongst my heroes. And what it, does, what it did is instead of releasing me into what God had for me, it shut me down. Because I was completely uh, crippled or paralyzed by the expect, my own expectations. However, 10 years later, I'm now their leader. So those same ministers that were my hero, that paralyzed me with what they, God had done through their lives and even in my life, God has taken me to a place where I now lead them. Now, I'm not saying that because uh, that's any accolades to me. It's really not. If you really knew me, you would be surprised. How could you be the leader? We don't understand. But I am. I don't understand, but I am. Um, and they submit. But my point is if God can do that in me, he'll do it in you. But... There has to be a lifestyle that leads to the fulfillment of a promise. has to be. We cannot escape old biblical practice in any context, in any time in history, in any nation, whatever the crisis. We submit first to the kingdom, and then we release relevance to the world. Amen. Amen. So, um, a little bit about my story. Uh, I, was, I was born a Catholic. Uh, I told you I'm born in this, this, this young, very young home, very inexperienced parents, and uh, I think one half of my parenting team tried to spend his life catching, recapturing his youth, the youth that was stolen, which didn't help the home. But in, in this uh, childhood, my mother 
got saved and she started to attend the charismatic church and and then as tradition has it we got dedicated uh to the lord i don't know if you guys do dedications here but we were dedicated i was seven and my brother was five or so we were slightly older than the the typical dedication and but in that dedication there was a prophecy over our lives that we would we would come into offices of ministry both of us so this word was spoken when we were seven years old these catholic boys coming into charismatic church and this this word was spoken over our lives so the future was foretold but still something had to happen in me in order for me to become suitable and useful for the prophecy amen so over my growth in my times of growth with god what was happening was my character was being developed and i was becoming useful for the purpose amen so that's a bit of my my history the principles of god i believe the principles serve you if you think about they go ahead of you and they do what you cannot do so the principle of faithfulness what good is it to you to serve in the house of god to serve each other or even make your life about the common good not your personal good what good what logic is there in that but it is a principle of god when you surrender to a principle what it does is the principle serves you now but it also goes ahead of you and it makes a way for you things that you cannot do or could never have done with your own hands if you submit to a truth in god's word it'll never only impact you now it will most definitely go ahead it'll start to speak to and feed the 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 promise over your life but it does need for me to in the now submit to the principle a parable a parable is this now we know the talents of i mean the the parable of the talents the 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 gist of the parable is faithfulness if you would just be faithful with what you have today stop looking at it like it's too small stop despising it like it has no future appreciate it use it and pass it if you would do well with it today i will trust you with more tomorrow the word parable speaks about the principle being comparable comparable to what's really in heaven so if you would submit yourself to faithfulness here on earth what's happening is you coming into a heavenly economy not an earthly economy actually when people look at you and say what are you doing with your life what they don't know is in heaven a future is unfolding for you because you've submitted to a truth not a context amen and not even your circumstances i was offered a job before this is quite a funny story before I was married or before I was even friends with my wife my wife was really like an angel and I came in from the world and and at the same church and I met this girl and and I just thought she is way way out of my league thank you thank you I wasn't going to be so harsh but <laughs> I suppose I'm only playing I was way out of my league Uh, physically who cares i don't know probably yes but that wasn't it spiritually it's like i felt like light and darkness can never mix she was a light i was the darkness so before we we even we actually didn't like each other she didn't like me and and i liked her but i also liked to dislike her because she was so very much in your face she was like the word she was the mirror that showed me my darkness um but anyway her father offered me a job it was my dream job it served my it served my circumstances i needed a car i needed a phone i needed petrol if i could have those three things i believed i was made and he was willing to give me those things. i really believed it was my dream job but somewhere deep down in me because he was in my church i thought i had this thing of going to bible college but i thought 
It doesn't make sense. I'm 23 years old. I need to get on with my life, honestly. I cannot go waste another few years doing a course, getting a a qualification that I'm probably never going to use. And so this job offer actually brought me to a place where I had to make a decision. And he offered me my my three dreams, car, petrol, phone. Um, I was set. But I actually, there was a conviction in my heart to say I can't take the job. Because I knew that if I took it, in six months I'm probably going to walk away from the job and I don't want to do that to somebody in my church, especially to a girl who I'm trying to prove that I'm better than her. So I didn't want to make, let that happen. Um, so I did something that didn't make sense. At 23, I stopped working and I went to Bible college. And I submitted to a process that I believe God called me to and it produced a person that I never knew I would become. Now, I'm, when I really, when I speak like that, you obviously must know that I'm well aware of my imperfections. They overshadow and overwhelm the little bits of completion in me. But still, even in my own perfection, God has brought me into a place that I never thought that I would be. If we would just submit to the principles of God's word, he, they will release the future and your destiny. Amen. Amen. So I want to make just three or four points today. I want to first uh, really encourage you. First point is to suffer the trial right. I told you, I and mean, this is a strange scripture. I'll read it to you now. It's James 1 verse 2. Um, you might have read it many, many times. But it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Now, I just want you to think about this for a moment. Don't rush on. Don't say amen. Let's think about what James is saying. Consider it joy when you're struggling hardship. Doesn't make sense. Can we at least agree unnatural? Not natural. If I'm going to get to a place where I'm able to celebrate hardship, something has to first change in me. I have to realize that there is a depth behind my hardship. That something is happening in me in hardship. If I only recognize that in hardship... Are my notes up here? No, good. If I have to recognize that in hard, if I only recognize that in hardship, I am hard pressed, hurt, and in pain, then I'll never know the potential of the hardship. I'll never know the potential of a trial. That James has a strange take on facing trials, facing offenses, facing injustices against ourselves. He says, consider it absolute joy. It's an unnatural response. Think about Joseph's life. Joseph was this, he was the youngest of 11 at the time. He was most loved. He had everything. Now imagine you've got 11 brothers, but your dad loves you the most. He loves you so much. He feels nothing to tell the brothers. This is my favorite boy. I love him. I love him the most. Sorry. He had everything going for him. And yet we know the story he had. God gave him a dream. It's your first The first reason for opposition in our lives is having a dream. Because the devil is most definitely going to oppose the dream. So what does he send first? He sends an offense. He sends a betrayal. Betrayal will usually come from those closest to you. If it came from somebody you didn't know, it wouldn't mean much to you. 
But the trap of betrayal or offense is found in the fact that it comes from those you know or who know you. So Joseph was sold as a slave by his brothers. There's so much more to the story. First of all, it's his family that are rejecting him. Second of all, they, to be sold as a slave is one thing, but to be the favored son in a wealthy household and then be given to a life of slavery was to lose your identity, to lose your name, to lose your future, and to lose the legacy of the household. So everything that would now follow on from me would be a slave too. My son will be a slave. His son will be a slave. His son will be a slave. His son will be a slave. And his son will be a slave if they survive slavery. So what was happening is actually everything that Joseph knew was now dead. So he would be a dead man walking. It's amazing though when you look at the story of his life, wherever he went, he was favored. Everybody know that? Part of his house, made in charge of the household. In prison, made in charge of the prisoners. Why? I'll take you to Daniel. When Daniel uh, was, was one of the exiles in Babylon and they were choosing men to be brought into the palace, trained up for service in the palace, they called da- Daniel and the Hebrew boys handsome. Now, uh, obviously we have a problem with that. How can you be chosen on, on your looks? Well, you, you're not. God doesn't choose like that. So when you study the word handsome, it actually means likable. He was one of those guys that people got along with. I don't know if you can list the fruits of the Spirit, but if the Spirit of God is in us, we are likable. Wouldn't you say? That I'll choose Him. I don't know a lot about Him, but you know what? My interaction with Him has meant that not even knowing Him, I trust Him. So so Joseph was the same. Wherever he went, he was favored because he was likable. Now, I want you to just draw a comparison. If you're complaining about your injustice, I promise you, your circle of friends is going to get bigger and bigger. The circle's not going to have more people. It's just going to start to move away from you. The circumference of the circle gets bigger, not the members of the circle. In fact, you might have a few drop off. People don't like complainers. I complain. I hate it when I do. I hate complaining, especially in our staff team. And, you know, we are passionate about fulfilling what we believe God giving us. The one thing I don't like hearing is why we can't do it, why you can't do it. I I don't mind obstacles. I don't even mind problems. I don't mind disasters. But I don't like the spirit of complaining where all we see is it's not possible. Don't like complaining. God doesn't like complaining. A few hundred years, not a few, about 600 years later after jo- Joseph's story, he, he allows a whole generation to die off in the desert without obtaining the promise. Why? Complainers. God does not release a murmuring or grumbling mouth. Doesn't. So even though James didn't write it back then, something in Joseph's spirit understood that he is still the God, my Lord, in my circumstances. And I submit to him, he dictates my spirit, he dictates what comes out of me, not my circumstances, not my pain, not my hurt, and certainly not my offense. And because he maintained the right attitude in offense, 
He was useful for growth in every season and useful for purpose in every season. Now see this about his life. Is even though the fulfillment of his life was actually seen only at the end, and I'm going to talk about that at the end of the sermon, but in every season of his life, he was promoted for usefulness because he was he could be used by God because his heart was right. I promise you, if he was a complainer, we wouldn't even know the name Joseph. My, our children would not be called Joseph. People would not be naming their children Joseph. Oh, look at my son. He's a complainer, but I'm so proud of him. We wouldn't be using the name. The fulfillment of the promise over his life was because he pastored his life through circumstance, through offense, and through difficult times. The fulfillment of your life, my life, is going to be to the degree that you nurture your life, regardless of your circumstance, regardless of your pain, regardless of your offense. So some of my story, I'm just going to try and weave a little bit of my testimony in as we go. But I came into this team, really struggled in team, and um, I think about three years into being on this leadership team at his church, we, a, a pastor down the coast phoned my boss, Fiona, senior pastor Fiona, and, she, and he said, we would love for... We're leaving this church. We would love for Simon and Cheson to come and take over. Thank God we didn't, only because we weren't ready. But Fiona said, no, not a chance. But she told me the story, and from her telling me the story, I felt like the night she told me that story, I felt like it was Christmas the next day. You know when you're lying in bed, you just can't, you wish you could just do this and sleep was over. I don't know if you know that story, uh, that feeling, but I know that feeling growing up as a kid. Christmas was like one of the only happy days of the year, is when there was some little blessing in the home. And so I could hardly sleep, but there was this excitement. I can't wait to get there, I can't wait to unwrap, I can't wait to get what I really know I'm getting, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but she told me about this opportunity to lead the church, and she said no. But oh, why well, I'm telling you that is because something was born in my heart. Then about a year later, she, told, she called me in and said, now listen to this. I'm telling you some really inside information, but it's not, I'm not famous, so it doesn't matter. Um, she said, I think God's telling me you're going to take over the church. Now what's wrong with that statement? Think. Well, which is it? <laughs> I want to know now, and I didn't say that. I was incredibly blown away, and I said, I'm going to carry on like this conversation never actually happened. Um, and then a year later, she said, Def- it's definitely you. That was about five years ago, six years ago. And once she had made it clear, and the word started to seep out into different spheres of leadership and, and whatnot, my whole experience started to change in church. Is that, and I know this sounds strange, but, but you know, we are Christians but we are people. And so I started to really, church became a, quite a hostile em- environment for me. Obviously, there's some people that didn't believe that it was right. Um, some people that felt very insecure, but I became almost a target. Church was the hardest experience for me. Some Sundays, uh, it was incredibly hostile. I could not, I only went because it was my job. I had to be there. <laughs> and it was tough. And I remember one of the days, just make sure that I'm telling the story in the right place, but it actually doesn't matter. One of the days, I told this to the staff here, 
One of the days we're having our Monday morning prayer meeting with our leadership team, and, and we were a very close, united team, and uh, there was a serious injustice going on over my life. Um, and it was obviously breaking me. Now, I could be resilient, 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 but when it's in your face, it grinds you down, grinds you down, grinds you down. And uh, I was in this room, and I, all I needed was for somebody to say, one of my friends to say, it's going to be okay. And nobody was saying anything. And I felt, and I could actually elicit the comfort. I could manipulate the comfort by just saying, guys, can you see what's going on here? And, but I felt God saying, don't you dare. Which was a strange thing because I'd probably done the same thing a hundred times. And I didn't know what God was saying, so I was praying. But while we were praying, I'm a, I, I was crying. Now I'm only telling you that because... I don't know why I'm telling you that, for dramatic, <laughs> dramatic effect, but it is true. But they didn't know I was upset, so I had my, we were heads down, eyes closed, praying over the week, etc., etc. I left the office, I went, I left the prayer room, I went to the office and I said, God, what are you, what's going on? I opened my Bible, I started to read the story of Hagar who had run away from Sarah who had been persecuting her. And, um, and the angel of the Lord visits Hagar. Everybody know the story? angel visits Hagar and says, where have you come from? And she says, I've run, now the angel knows I'm running away from my offense. And, and, he's, and he's, she's, the angel starts to prophesy over Hagar's life. And he says, don't worry, you're going to have a son. And he's going to be, the, you're pregnant with a son. And he's going to be, I mean, not great, a donkey of a man. And his brothers are going to hate him. But he's actually going to be a great nation. And he's going to be very wealthy. And she, but the angel says, but I want you to go back. Now, it's amazing, hey? It's like sometimes all we need is for God to rescue us. And God appears and he says, you know what? The future's okay, but right now I want you to stay in your hardship because I'm not finished with you. I haven't fully prepared you for the future. So she says this. She gives this revelation. She says, today I have seen the God who sees me. And so she went back. So God taught me in that day, no matter what you go through, I see it actually doesn't matter who else sees. I see. You're not alone. The comfort that brought me, it gave me the strength to go back into an environment that was incredibly hostile for me, but it gave me joy in the environment. It gave me strength in the environment, and it refocused my faith in God, not my faith in people. Amen. Sometimes in the trial, to suffer it right, we don't escape it. We get our perspective in it. The perspective you find in your trial today will serve you in every trial or every offense you ever go through. Amen. I want to speak about second point, the purity of, of in offense. I, I know you've, you might have something else up here, but point two, purity in offense. Can I tell you a few more personal stories? Is that corner okay over there? It's very quiet and... Um, but beautiful, but very good looking, but quiet. Um, so, just, just tell you this, speak this word over your life. Luke 17 verse 1 says this. Then he said to the disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they come. Offense is going to happen. It is going to come. It's like Jesus saying, in this world, you will have trouble. Amen. Praise God. 
But take heart, I've overcome the world. It's the same thing. Offense is going to come if you're part of community. Unless you live in a cave on your own and you never come out, you are going to experience offense. So the word offense, the, the Greek for offense means this. It's, sorry, it's pronounced as scandalon. And the word scandalon in the Greek, Greek means a trap stick. So it was actually a bent sapling, a little branch that was bent over that when an animal or a small bird went to eat whatever the bait was, the, 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 the stick would flick and uh, the animal would be trapped. That's what offense means. Offense is not in the making of men. It's sent from uh, the devil. It's here to dislodge and undo your life and uh, end your future. Amen. It will come. We need to know how to deal with it. So Chesan and I, walking through, we, we were very idealistic Christians. Once I had been refined in the darkness, for the most part, was out of me. She eventually liked me. And uh, I quickly married her before she changed her mind, or, or I went back. Um, but anyway, she was always a, a purity girl. And uh, she lived her life pure, and she made no qualms about it, which is probably the reason why I didn't get on with her at first. And I must just say, the real reason I didn't like her is because she told on, I know it's crazy, but she was an adult, and she told on me. And I was called into the dean's office at the Bible college one day, and I just knew where this was coming from. (laughs) And I was furious. I made that meeting about the offender who had told on me rather than me. But uh, anyway... All things work out for the good to those who eventually love God. Um, but we had this thing of, we had a conviction we didn't have the teaching. And I want to just show you this. Is we don't have to know everything to live right, church. But sometimes we bent on getting knowledge, thinking that the knowledge is going to release you, without actually just being satisfied with surrendering your life to God. And knowing that in your surrender, he's working in you anyway. There's no difference between the work of God and the word of God. Because you don't know the word of God, doesn't mean the work of God is not happening in your life. So in our situation, we didn't know everything. In fact, we didn't know anything about offense. But we had uh, been told that we were, I was on staff. Chesan had been on staff for many years before me. And we were, we were, we were told that we were going to be ordained onto the senior ministry team, which was a massive a dream come true. It's, it's really what we felt God had called us to. We were excited. We were gonna, it was going to happen together as a husband and wife. At the time, there were no couples on team. We were the first couple on team. In fact, we we're still the only couple on team. Um, we're going to change that. But <laughs> we were excited. It was an incredible season. We were young on staff, and, and it was just, just, you know, nothing was going wrong. And we went overseas for a wedding, and... Uh, there were lots of church, church friends and church people and, and, and leaders connected to our church in, at that wedding. And there was a particular thing that happened there, but it, I mean, it went unnoticed to us. There was a crisis happening at the reception, and my wife jumped to the rescue and sorted it out. She's a good administrative, logistical manager in every area of her life, including home. Um, but we got back to Durban, and we were called into the office, and, and this report had been given, and... It was said, if, if, we, if I had known this about you then, I would not have agreed to ordain you. But it's a week now. We can't pull back. I just want you to imagine your dream. It's like the moment we, we're going. Now you're getting told it's going to happen, but 
I really wish it wasn't going to happen, but if it's too late now, we have to just do it. And, and uh, we were shattered. And what was worse is some of the cl- our closest friends, even to this day, they're still our closest friends, were part of that process of giving an inaccurate report back, really, really inaccurate, um, but really broke us. So we just gave our side. We said, well, we didn't see it happening like this, and it certainly wasn't our motive, et cetera, et cetera. The details are never important. And I want to say that again. The details of your offense are never, ever important. If you give them too much importance, they will rule and dictate how you handle the offense. So we were driving home from that meeting, and we looked at each other, and we were trying to process what had just happened. Our best friends. Uh, And we said, you know what? Before anything else, the most important thing we have going for us is our hearts. And we're not going to allow anything to obstruct or be obstruction between us and God. And so we're going to forgive, we're going to release, and we're going to walk in purity, keeping our hearts pure. So we made a simple decision. We prayed, we released it right there. This situation was not even half an hour old. We did that. To this day, we have no pain no brokenness, no broken relationships, no sad stories about this except that it's a good story to tell when you're preaching on offenses. There is nothing that we remember about that that takes us to an emotional damage in any way because we dealt with it within half an hour. And it actually set us on a trajectory. We did not know that we would have to make the same decision over and over and over and over again. But every time we had to make it, it became easier because we knew it's not about the offense. It's about how we respond. And we knew that when you start to suffer the trial right, somehow in it all, God works it out right for you. In Philippians 3 verse, I think it's 12-ish, but down the page somewhere there, he says, you know what, I share in his suffering so that somehow, I love the fact that Paul uses somehow because even Paul doesn't have all the doctrine. Even Paul doesn't have, you know, somehow God just does it. I want to say this. If you handle your trial your offense properly, somehow, as much as the pain is deep now, you're going to get to a place where you don't remember the the pain, but you've got a testimony to tell. Look what God has done that was born in a place where I thought everything was dying. Amen. So, the scripture for our lives is Proverbs 4.23. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Come on. If we want to have a good work, we have to have a walk. We have to have a good heart. There is no escaping your heart. If it's in there, I promise you this, it's coming out of there. This is a scary thing. If we're carrying something in our heart, we'll think it's there and nobody knows it. It's there, but everybody can see it. They might not be able to identify it, but it's in the sharpness of your voice. It's in the, the frequency of your complaints. It's in your, the criticism of your mouth. All of that speaks of what's in my heart. But this scripture goes on and says, everything you do flows from this one place, your heart. There is not one offense that I can go through, Lord, protect me, cover me, before I make this statement, that I'm willing to give too much to at the expense of my future. I'll say this about forgiveness. The longer you take to forgive, the more time you're giving for the offense to grow. Let me read the scripture to you. It's again 
of uh, Luke 17. I'm going to go down a few verses, 4 and 6. It says, even if they sin against you seven times a day, and seven times they come back to you and say, I repent, you must forgive them. So what do the apostles say? Now, remembering offense usually comes from those who are closest to you. The hurt is usually deep, and Jesus illustrates that now. He says, so the apostles say, Lord, this is tough. Increase our faith. Now, if you're not struggling with offense, you, was, you, you might be thinking, what's so hard about that? But if you've been hurt, and you're battling and you're hurt, you will know that just to keep on forgiving is tough. So they say, please increase our faith. And he says this, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. One thing I love is Jesus appreciates the difficulty in dealing with offense. He's not saying, hey, just get over it. You're of the kingdom. You're born again now. You need to live different. He appreciates it's not easy. It's like having a tree growing in your heart. But he says this, if you exercise some faith in your offense. You see, we, 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 uh, we make faith exclusive for miracles, for healing, for money, for need. He's saying, you know what, if you would deal with your emotional life in faith, you can speak to that thing that's in your heart that shouldn't be there and say, plant yourself. Now listen, not throw yourself plant yourself, find another home, and don't come back, and it will do it. One thing I love, he appreciates the pain. He says, it'll be uprooted, which means what? The offense, if you let it stay there, it puts roots down. Roots grow. Roots and trees grow. I don't know about you, but in our our garden, we've got this mulberry tree. I didn't plant it there. Just nobody plants mulberry trees. I don't know if you know them. You give mulberry leaves to silkworms. Nobody is that intentional about silkworms that we plant trees to feed them. But we have this tree just arrived. Every year gets bigger. Started as like, oh, who cares? Nobody can even see it. Now I'm thinking I'm gonna have to get a company in here to cut this thing down. And then probably another company to take the roots out. All I'm saying is, and what I think Jesus is saying is, one, it takes faith to deal with your offense. Two, if you leave it there, roots go down and the tree goes up. The longer I take to deal with the offense, the more time I'm giving for the reason, the arguments that I give to the offense in order to keep it here. Often we see our offenses as Ex- uh, exceptions. Yeah, but you don't know the story. <laughs> you don't know. The, I know that you've got a story, and it's cute, that story, but <laughs> you don't know what this person has done to me. Easy, totally. Thank you, Pastor. That's such a good answer. I knew you would say it, actually. <laughs> but you don't know my story. You don't know my pain. You don't know where I came from, which makes my pain even worse. Jesus never asks the story, tells you how to get out of the story. If you just exercise a little bit of faith, speak to that thing and tell it to go. Many of us don't want our offense to grow because actually our offense wins us attention. And even if it doesn't, my anger or my hurt 
manipulate attention. So it feeds the brokenness in my life rather than me accepting freedom while nobody notices. I would rather be a prisoner to my pain so that somebody can love me than for me to let go of my pain without anybody knowing about it and me never getting what I could have got. You know, I've watched this in church. The most mature. So I have a, there's a difference between a mature Christian and an old Christian. An old Christian is somebody who's been saved for many years but never grew up. They look like they are grown up because they can prophesy. They can speak the language. One of my urgencies when I first got saved was to sound like a Christian. So when I prayed, I was so embarrassed because I didn't sound like those who had been praying for longer than I. But I realized once I knew how to talk like a Christian that actually it added no depth to my life. So what I see in people's lives is that they prophesy and they look the same, they look right, they even speak right. They fulfill their whole position in the church. But when it's time for offense, they cannot let it go. I have seen people live in offense, and I, I'll just talk, for years. I was a young pastor when it started. I'm now 40. We're still talking about the same offense. Yeah, but you don't know. Yeah, but you, how can I forget? I, I don't understand. Uh, misquoting scripture. Give you, a, give you an example, just because it's funny, and I'm just getting excited, so I'm sorry if I'm taking too long. But... But um, Romans 13, Romans 12, I think it's down the page 17, but it says this, if your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. If he's hungry, give him, feed him. Uh, and that'll be like putting burning coals on his head. Amen? We got that? So we like to use that scripture, don't we? So whenever I hear a scripture, a testimony that includes that scripture, what the, usually what the Christian is telling me is that this person hurt me, but don't worry. I said something gentle back. And I poured the coals on their head. It's <laughs> like uh, so taking the truth and using it to feed my brokenness. Loving your enemy is not to get your enemy back. It's to expose them to Jesus when you could have exposed them to revenge. So there's old Christians and there's mature Christians. An offense will always measure where you're at. The longer that offense is there, the bigger the job is to get it out. It's what happens while it's there. It's enforcing arguments. Where's the battle? Where's the wall, church? It's in the mind. It's when we pull down strongholds, what are we pulling down? We're pulling down the reasons that justify wrong behaviors. So we hold on to something. We've got every reason. I'm telling you, I'm so good at giving you reasons why. I identified something early on in my walk, especially when I came on staff and I took responsibility. When something took on responsibilities, when something didn't work, what did I have? I had a reason. And the reason was never me. <laughs> never ever me. It was a reason, it was a circumstance, it was a person, it was a bad team, etc., etc. Our battle over our own lives is up here. What God calls us to do is pull down the strongholds that will blind us to seeing our own lives. In fact, I'll say this. I think Jesus will often preach, don't trust yourself. Don't trust yourself. Do not be your biggest fan. Always have an outside voice telling you what they see. That's why we get married. You thought it was for companionship and intimacy. It is not. It is for refinement and preparation. I'm only playing, but it is a benefit of marriage. Don't trust yourself. Because those people who have been walking in offense for many, many years who can still prophesy, 
I, I, I avoid them. They are dangerous. Joseph's brothers were offended. An offended brother is a dangerous brother. If you love community, we confront offense and the offender. We confront in love to bring about the justice and the mercy of God, not to make an example of somebody, but we never let it go. Amen. I'm going to move on to my last point. The potential of your purity. An offense for me offers opportunity. Before I do that, forgiveness, sorry. So the prayer of the believers or, or the Lord's prayer says this. If, if a brother sins, I'm going to paraphrase because I don't have time to read it. But if a brother sins against you, forgive him. And if you forgive him, I will forgive you. But if you don't forgive him, I will not forgive you. So it wraps up offense pretty well, doesn't it? Is that we only have one option, that's to forgive. Jesus says in other uh, places, freely you have received, so freely you shall give. So what's been given to us needs to be released and given back or given to men. Amen. Everybody clear? Now, interesting geographical, historical little fact about Israel is that in the north, there are, the, I don't know what the mountains are called, but they feed the, the, the Sea of Galilee. The rivers flow into the Sea of Galilee, and Galilee is known for its fertility. So within the, the, the lake, there is incredible uh, life. Fish and all kinds of underwater animals. I'm sorry, but I'm not an expert on underwater. But even around the, 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 the land, or the farming land around the sea is known for it being incredible, incredibly productive and fruitful. Now what happens is water comes into Galilee and then it leaves Galilee. What's given is given. Make sense? Now that water becomes the Jordan River and the Jordan River runs into the Dead Sea. The thing about the Dead Sea is that it receives but it does not give. Now what happens in something that receives but doesn't give is everything in it and surrounding it dies. Nothing can live there. You have been forgiven. There is only one option for a believer. I don't know how we can find the other option, but sometimes we do. It's things that exalt themselves above the knowledge of God. Because we do, don't we? People do. But this is my story. Well, okay, that's cool, but you're exalting your thoughts above his thoughts, and it's going to get you into trouble. It's called a stronghold. A stronghold is not a nice thing, even though you feel like it is a good thing for you. It's binding you up and limiting you in the future. Amen. Okay, I want to go on. I want to look at the, the fruit of purity. Is everybody okay and has this made sense? I know that's, this is long, but this is a story that excites me immensely. Joseph's outcome. So we know that how Joseph started. We know that he didn't complain. He didn't murmur. He was faithful and he was favored. And so in every season of his life, he was given responsibility and promotion. Amen? So in Genesis 40, we read this account where there's a dream in prison and he interprets the dream and he says to the cupbearer, you're going out and to the baker, you're going out, but one's going to die and one's going to live and be restored to his position. And as they release from prison, he says to them, hey, don't forget me. When you get out there, tell them about me because I'm in here for something I never did. So that's cool. So the next verse, 41 verse 1, we see two years later. Now just think, this boy, faithful to God, interpreted the dream. Everybody's living well. 
He's still... Two years later, what happened? First of all, just for free, Joseph was leaning on man, not God. So he was saying, hey, can you help me get out of this situation? Actually, there's an injustice. There's been an offense. Can you fix it? So what that did was it showed Joseph's development, but not completion of his character. Leaning on men, not God. So God left him there for two years to finish the work that he had started. But then Joseph was released because Pharaoh had another dream and he interprets the dream and he tells of seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. And so wise was he that Pharaoh put him in charge and he managed this whole process of protecting the nation and the economy of the nation in the expectation of the coming famine. Everybody with me? Amen. Now remember where Joseph started. He started in a home. He was the youngest of the brothers. In fact, he was disliked by the brothers, but that was his beginning. It's the same as David. Where did David start? It says in Psalm 78, 71, that he started in the sheep pens, but became a king. Now, there's one thing that served David well as a king was his integrity of heart before God and his skillfulness of hands. So what happens was because his heart was pure, he was released to actually have the skill to lead a nation. But where did he start? in a sheep pen. I want to tell you what was born in the sheep pen in his heart served him as a king in the kingdom. As if we neglect looking after our hearts now when our life seems insignificant, we're never actually going to step into significance because we never established the principle of purity of heart in the times when God expected us to. Amen. We know that David did, Joseph did, Daniel did, and so God released them. Now let's look at David. Joseph's life, the fruitfulness of purity or the product of your purity. So the famine has become now severe and these people are coming to Joseph. I'm going to read you a whole other scripture, but I just want to see the miraculous. Now, this might not be your future, but it is a future. And I want you to see that your future and even your conduct today isn't not just about you, but it's about serving generations ahead of you. We're not in control, but if we would submit ourselves to a principle, what God does is he serves you now, but he also goes ahead of you and he sets up an outcome that you could never, ever do. But you first have to trust. If you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you would speak to that thing and it would go. Unless you release faith today in your fence, you're never going to know the magnitude of your future. But let's keep going. So, Joseph says this in 47, Genesis 47, verse 3. Everybody with me. Support me. Work hard. We've only got five minutes left. I love you. It says, there was no food, because the famine was so severe. However, the whole, oh, sorry. There was no food, however, in the whole region, because the famine was so severe. Both Egypt and Canaan wasted away. Because of the famine, Joseph collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan. Sorry, I missed out a section here, but we might just have to miss it out. Let me just see if I've got that scripture. No, I don't. So what had happened is the people came, urine and year out, and they said, we don't have any food. And, and we know that in the, the uh, times of plenty, Joseph had collected money for, for seed, amen, for grain so the people can eat. But it got to a stage in this famine where all the money had run out. The people had no money. So who had the money? Joseph. Okay. The slave had the money. So Joseph collected all the money that was to be found in Egypt and Canaan in payment for grain they were buying. And he brought it to Pharaoh's palace. When the money of all the people uh, of Egypt and Canaan was gone, all Egypt came to the slave or to Joseph and they said, give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? Our money's all gone. Then 
bring all your livestock, Joseph said. I will sell you food in exchange for your livestock since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph and he gave them food in exchange for their horses, their sheep, their goats, their cattle, their donkeys. And he brought them through that year with food in exchange for all their livestock. So Joseph has now got all the money of Egypt in his hands. Now he's got all the livestock of Egypt in his hands. Remember, he was a slave. He didn't have favorable, uh, favorable start. But the story goes on. When that year was over, they came to him the following year and they said, we cannot hide from our Lord the fact that since our money is gone and our livestock belongs to you, there is nothing left for our Lord except our bodies and our land. Why should we perish before your eyes? We and our land as well. Buy as well, sorry, buy us and our land in exchange for food. And we with our land will be in bondage to Pharaoh. Give us seed so that we may live and not die. And that the land may become desolate. So you're saying give us some seed so we can keep working this land and somehow keep it alive. So verse 20, it says this. So Joseph brought all the land in Egypt from Pharaoh, for Pharaoh. So he had all the money, all the animals, the slave. Now he had all the land under his control. Remember, he was a slave with a pure heart. The Egyptians and uh, one and all sold their fields because the famine was too severe for them. And the land became Pharaoh's and Joseph reduced the people to servitude from one end of Egypt to the other. Verse 23, Joseph said to the people, now that I've bought you and your land today for Pharaoh, here is seed for you so that you can plant the ground. But when the crop comes in, give a fifth of it to Pharaoh. The other four fifths you may keep as seed for your fields and as food for yourselves and your households and your children. They said, you have saved our lives. May we find favor in the eyes of our Lord. We, uh, we will belong in bondage to Pharaoh. I'm going to finish now. So it says, so Joseph established it as a law concerning the land. Still in force today. That a fifth, 20% of the produce, of all the produce of Egypt belongs to Pharaoh. It was only the land of the priests that did not come to Pharaoh. Now, let me just give you, give you a little bit of context here. Egypt is in the worst possible natural climate it had ever been in. Everything was dying, except the wisdom of God found in a manager, a steward that Pharaoh had put in place, found in a slave boy who had a pure heart, and was given response, it sounds like you and I, found in a slave boy who was with a pure heart, who was given responsibility. Out of the slave's mind, his life, and the wisdom of God in him, what he had done was he had managed to feed the nation for, for the whole of the famine. But he had also set up an economy that would go way and above and surpass the time of famine. So he said, here, I'm going to give you seed to sow. I'm going to give you a once-off investment. Try and stay with me. I'm going to give you money once. You're going to sow your crops. But here's the deal. In, replace, in, in response to me giving you crops for one year, every year you're going to come back and give me 20% of the entire harvest. And I'm going to make it a law that forever, not just for now, but forever, every single year, 20% is coming back to the kingdom. 20% coming back to the How many times did he give? He just gave one. 20% is coming back to the kingdom. So he set Egypt up to be one of the most wealthy, probably the most wealthy nation on earth. Anybody that thinks that's an unlikely end for a slave boy? It's an unlikely end. If you don't think so, I'm going to tell you. But I do have a conflict with this, don't I? So do you. I don't know if you're thinking about it, but 
But he's making Egypt or Pharaoh rich. So how does that help the kingdom? Now, let me tell you, Joseph was safe. His family was safe. His family became wealthy. Freely given, freely, uh, freely receive, freely give. Everything around you, when you're, giving and, uh, when you're receiving and giving, laugh. Okay, so everybody around them experience life. Your life is not just about you, it's about everybody around you. You dead, things around you will die. So he was alive, obedient, pure in his heart. Set up this economy for Egypt that made Egypt one of the most powerful and wealthy nations on the earth in that time. Amen. Everybody with me? So I, I saw this and I thought it was amazing. God, the economy that was set up in famine, severe famine, life was released. Incredible. Through who? A slave boy with a pure heart. Joseph dies. New pharaohs come in. Israel's in, uh, enslaved and they begin to serve Egypt. I want to ask you one question. How did Israel, 450 years later, leave Egypt? With the wealth of Egypt. Where did the wealth come from? came from a slave boy with a pure hold who was a steward of responsibility in his context. And his purity made him relevant. Not only saved the nation he was in, it saved his, the life around him, his family and his loved ones. But 400 la- years later, the fruit of his purity was that Israel left Egypt with the wealth. You see, if we submit ourselves to the ways of God that are illogical, to our emotional state. We walk into what God has. Nobody can take away the will of God from you. Not a man, not a woman, not a child, not a devil. Say it again. Nobody can take the will of God away from you. Not a man, not a woman, not a child, not a devil. Only you can. And that's to say, I'm going to harbor this offense. I'm putting my feet on the ground. I'm not budging. You don't know the hurt, the pain that I'm in. He knows, but still he speaks to it and says, you speak to it. I'm not taking it away. You take it away. Exercise some faith. Remove yourself. The longer it's there, the longer it'll be there. And it might never go. To the point that all you'll see is not the offense, but the pain. Because the tree's so big. So my heart is when you're going through offense, when I was walking through those, those dark times at church, I was a runner at the time. I used to run and I used to smile. Because I had got a revelation that God was doing something in my trial. And so I ran and I just thank God. I thank you for the season. I thank you for this time. I thank you that you're doing something in my life. You know what it says? When your faith is tested, perseverance is developed. And when perseverance has finished its work, character is established. You are made complete. And in the New Living Translation, in one of the translations, it says, then you are ready for anything. That your offense is just your opportunity. If you deal with it right, oh man, you're sitting on gold. You're realizing your future. But if we do an offense what the world does an offense, which is to cry out for justice, for sympathy, for attention, what starts to happen in you is your future starts to die with the offense. As you look after it and as you trim it and prune it and make it look nice and keep it in order. So I want to encourage you. God has got a future for you. I can speak about future all day. I'm convinced it's everywhere. He's so committed. He's more committed to your future than you are. He is. He's relentless. He's persistent. 
keeps bringing us back. He aligns us. That's what's happening in this series. I'm just aligning you. I'm just bringing you back to something that's going to help you because I've got something for your life. I'm going to ask you if you'd stand very quickly. Let's pray. And I know, I, 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 just tell me if, if I'm out of my jurisdiction. But you guys have said that you're in a series. And I started by saying, it's one thing to be anointed to speak. It's another thing to be anointed to receive. Sometimes the anointing needs to be stronger to take in a word, particularly a word that involves heart issues, attitudes, etc. But I really just pray that there is a grace. And I want to impart something to you today. And I'll say that I've never even done this before. But I heard impartation is me giving you something small, a small piece of what I have. Small enough that it will grow in you. If you learn to deal with offense in this season, you will know how to deal with it in every season. But in the future, you have the conviction and the belief that the right response will serve you well. And so you'll be quick to deal with it. So I'm going to just, let's just take a moment to open our hearts to God and surrender. And you know what? Even if it's old issues, sometimes because it's old, it might die in your memory. It doesn't die in your heart. And so I want to take a moment for you to actually think back. Things that you've carried, things that you've been through, but things that you haven't dealt with. And we're going to bring them to the altar today and we're going to present them to God and say, Light it on fire, God. You know, in um, Exodus 20, around 25 or so, we taught how to build an altar. And it says, build an altar out of rubble and dirt. It's a strange thought again. Because you think that God deserves more. But he says, don't anybody cut that stone to make it look smart. It's not what I'm, not, it's not what I'm interested in. You bring the rubble, you bring the dirt, and you build an altar, and you put your sacrifice on that altar, not another altar. And the thought behind that is, God is more interested in the rubble of your life than the picture of perfection that we can somehow conjure up. And so all the hurt, all the pain, he's about your pain. He wants to know. He wants to talk. He wants to see it burn. In fact, he's willing to release a grace on your life to deal with it today and forever if you would humble yourself to say, yeah, that's me. So I'm going to ask every eye to close in this room. Every eye. Nobody needs to be prayed for after this, so nobody needs to have their eyes open. If you know that you've dealt with offense now, you're dealing with it now, you've dealt with it recently, or you've dealt with it in your past and you're not sure that you threw it, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and I'm going to pray quickly and we're going to trust God to remove that thing in Jesus' name. Thank you, thank you. Plenty people. Father, I just thank you. First of all, speaking to the futures of this room. Thank you, God. The manifold wisdom of God is released through our lives. Manifold meaning variety, different. Not one life, not, no two lives are the same. But there's uniqueness on every single life. There is significance on every single unique life. And so right now, God, I thank you that as we present the issues of our heart, the issues of our lives before you, Father, we put them on that altar built of rubble and dirt. And God, we're asking that as we burn it up in faith, that it is removed in Jesus' name. We speak to the tree and we say accurately and authoritatively, plant yourself in the ocean and it must in Jesus' name. And so right now, I thank you, God, that those trees, the roots are uprooted. The fruit 
does, the conduct, the behavior, the tone, the attitude of the heart, it is gone in Jesus' name. I thank you for a grace on this house to walk in peace, to walk in community, to walk in love and joy. In Jesus' name, I thank you, Father, that every stronghold of the mind comes down. Even now, as people wrestle with their offense, wrestle with their pain, wrestle with their unforgiveness, God, I thank you that you would give the authority, the power of God to demolish that stronghold, that thought, that we recognize it as something that is simply exalting itself above the knowledge of God. We choose right now, God, to bring our minds, thoughts, reasonings, and arguments into subjection to Jesus knowing that we can trust Him. And so, Holy Spirit, I thank You that even now, You begin process of restoration, wholeness, peace in our lives. God, that we might have the mental memory, the recollection of hurts, but we will never have the emotional pain of it again in Jesus' name. Commit this word to You, God, not just a word spoken to men, but a word planted in this house. I pray that it would harvest peace. It would harvest future. It would harvest destiny, God. It would harvest wisdom in our pastoring of our own lives and our futures. God, I thank you that as you release men from pain, you bring them into future. That the process starts again. And in every season, we would see favor, blessing, promotion, and provision. In Jesus' name.